Hello, welcome back to the Game People podcast. My name's Paul Govan, and I look after the Family Gamer section on the website. Each week, we get a collection of writers to look at a particular video game. Come and join the gang of reviewing artisans, see it from every angle. This week, I'm joined by Mark Clapham, our story gamer, and Sinan Kubber, our returning gamer, and we're going to be looking at Assassin's Creed 2. So this week I've got two experts on Assassin's Creed with me, um, Mark Clapham and Sinan Kubber, um, both of who write for the website, but rather than introducing them myself, I'll hand you over to them and they can tell you why their reviews are unusual. Mark. Hi, I'm Mark Clapham. I write the Story Gamer column for Game People, and I look at games in the light of storytelling and narratives. Great, and um, how about you, Sinan? Uh, yeah, I'm Sinan Kuba. I'm the returning gamer. I was huge into games in my childhood, had a little break later on in life, and have come back to them with a renewed passion. And uh, Sinan writes there. You'll find him in the returning gamer section on the, on the website. So before we get into our discussion about Assassin's Creed, um, let's take a bit of time just to paint a picture of what sort of game this is if you've not played it yourself. Mark, how would you best introduce someone to Assassin's Creed? Assassin's Creed is a cousin to the Prince of Persia games. It's from the same same company and the original Assassin's Creed takes that idea of a running and fighting through the Middle East and this sort of parkour approach to exploration and running across the rooftops and transfers it to the 12th century Holy Land. But it frames it in a near future conspiracy story so that rather than you just being the character, you are also at the same time playing a guy in the near future who is accessing historical memories through this uh, sci-fi technology. So it's a sort of sprawling conspiracy theory which throws you into different parts of history. Mm -hmm. And so in terms of the actual gameplay, how are you playing in that space? It's an open world third person game Mm -hmm. uh, with a strong emphasis on acrobatics. First most notable thing about the Assassin's Creed game is how fluid the motion is. You know, you can run up a wall and jump from ledge to ledge and then get on rooftops. And really that sort of superhero ninja dream of being very fluid and athletic and acrobatic in an interesting environment and uh, getting into more straightforward combat with multiple enemies and using mainly swords. Sinan, would you add to that? I think it's important to to frame when it came out. It was It was late. 2007 I think when it came out that was just shortly after the Bond film where we'd seen a lot of free running and free running was a very big thing in in terms of film, in terms of television uh, and games as well and we just had Crackdown as well which was this uh, giant open world game with lots of vertical scaling, lots of buildings to climb up and Assassin's Creed 2 kind of brought the two together took it back to uh, 14th century (laughs) Jerusalem and and added character from the future brought back into this uh, period of time one thing that maybe we haven't quite touched on in our description is that it had these city spaces, which you could see a long way, visual, um, impressive um, landscapes. Um, but within that, you had crowds and a sort of a, a crowd mechanic, 
which would then actually interplay with your game. So if, as the player, you were trying to get from A to B very quickly, you had to work with the crowds in a certain way. And if you were looking to hide from a particular enemy, again, you were working with the crowds in the environment. And that's something I hadn't seen. There you go, that's our little potted introduction to Assassin's Creed, if you've not played it. We'll have a little musical break now, and then we'll come back with our discussion on Assassin's Creed. Assassin's Creed. It, it, it had a lot of different kind of receptions, a lot of different reviews. Uh, a lot of people really liked it, a lot of people really hated it, and uh, I ended up on the side who kind of hated it. For me, it, it we've said, you know, already it's, it's you know very visually impressive. Like you said, uh, Paul, like there's you climb up this tower and you just look across the city, and it's incredible to see all these buildings in front of you. It's huge draw distance. <laughs> And, and like you say, below, there's you can actually see the people moving about. And it is technically stunning. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, in terms of actual play and in terms of the story, it is probably one of the most repetitive oh. games of this generation. The play really constitutes just finding someone to assassinate, uh, which means you have to infiltrate a group of people, kill that person, and then run away. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's pretty much limited to that for all nine assassinations. There are slight variations, but nothing that really engages. Uh-huh. But do you uh, think, I mean, is that a problem? Because you, you'll often have, I mean, video games are sort of built around repetition. I quite like that. I think I like that central mechanic. And so I didn't mind doing it again and again. I think from my perspective, it's a waste of what they had in hand. I think you've got this great open world. You've got this this crowd of people who you can really exploit and try to work out a way to, to use them. And there's only one or two or three things you can do. Even though, like you say, it is kind of, you can get into that kind of role, I guess is what you're saying, you know, mm-hmm. where you are just killing one guy and you, you, you're you used to how you did that, so you can take that to the, to the second guy you're killing. Um, I just, I found it dull and I found it a waste of what was a really good engine, a really good idea, a really good story. Yeah. Or what could have been a really good story. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's a disappointing element to it because it is so, such an evocative setting although it looks like a very detailed world there's actually a very limited number of interactions you can have in it is quite disappointing i think because you expect there to be stuff to do you're going through these big bustling cities but in effect they're just mazes that you're running around to kill a limited number of people there's a lot of gloss but there's not much depth and i think that's what is quite disappointing about the first game and it's probably again with my family gamer hat on 
I'm probably looking for something a little bit different maybe in terms of those open world experiences where you can spend so much time going anywhere and doing anything actually are sort of quite intimidating for me just because the amount of time I can lose to them and because I've got a limited amount of time to play I guess I quite like the fact that although it was in an open world Assassin's Creed was quite linear and I could just pick through these missions sit down for an hour play it, and then and then move on I think for me one of the big problems I have with open world games is there's often a lack of challenge there's almost too much in the power to the player and I think Assassin's Creed really is a is a prime example of that uh, I, I one of the big things I enjoyed from games of before I, you know, left them in, in my university years was, was skill games, challenge games. And Assassin's Creed is a very, very easy game because you can just run away. So I think that was maybe my major problem that I just, I, I never felt like the game posed a challenge in any way. I'd agree with you. But there is one of the other tricks that they play is because there's this premise that you're in a sort of virtual reality simulation. The game is not afraid to throw up invisible walls and suddenly force you into a situation where all the tricks you've learnt in terms of hiding and running are no use. And it, one of the most annoying things about Assassin's Creed 1 for me, which I loved a lot of it, I loved the climbing and jumping and the sense of freedom, mm. was that as, the, as it sort of got towards the end of the game, it channeled you into a series of fights and you didn't have any option for stealth kills, you didn't have any option for running away, you just had to um, suddenly fight a hundred very hard dudes one after another with nowhere to run to uh, which was kind of a cheat because the entire game up to that point had been built upon the idea of you being this stealthy assassin and then suddenly you weren't allowed to anymore you were told that you basically had to do sort of street fighter style button combos yeah i mean i think i know it's the same thing i think i started playing it very full-on so i was sort of just piling into the people i needed to assassinate and just just attacking and killing anyone I could but then as I as I carried on I found that it got to the point whereby I couldn't do that because I would accumulate such a crowd of people it would just take me 10 minutes 20 minutes to, to fight my way through them and get off and hide. I, I think it's one of the games where I had to in spite of having really enjoyed it when I was doing the when it was nice and expl exploration and open I think in the end I actually did give up and I just uh, I, I watched the ending on YouTube. And I think what we're seeing here, um, you know, we've, there's a varied reception to different parts of this game from us. And we saw a similar sort of variety in response in terms of reviews. Some people really raved about it and it was you know, the best thing since sliced, sliced bread. And other people wanted to sort of call those reviews out to say, wait a minute, what about all the repetition? What about all the problems? Um, rather than dwelling on that, let's see what, what, was, what was the developer's response in what came in Assassin's Creed 2. How did they how did they improve on those things? They very consciously decided that they were going to do a second one was going to they were going to do a blockbuster. They were going to mm -hmm. do uh, a game which had an incredible amount to do, as well as having this uh, central story about the assassinations and the conspiracy and all that malarkey. Also, has a tremendous amount of of side quests and other activities you can do mm -hmm. and depth to match the gloss i think that's the difference between the two games mm -hmm. are there particular side quests that sort of stick with you or and the most notably extravagant one is the entire town which uh you get to look after at one point you get sent to your family estate which your family have explicitly not bothered to go back to for a couple of hundred years i think and so you get you leave the city and you go back to your family estate and it's this little almost animal crossing mini game where you have this town of people who are dependent on 
the Dettori family and you uh, need to uh, improve their town. So you're earning money, you're spending it on doing up the church, doing up the shops, you can find various treasures hidden around the town and they open up little tombs beneath the mansion house so that you can explore and find further coin and as you build it up it actually becomes more profitable for you as well it's this little sort of weird nurturing non-violent sort of family community story which is on the sidelines and which you could just play assassin's creed 2 Mm -hmm. going there once when you're required to by the plot and then just never going back again you just go back into the big cities and you continue to do the assassinations and you just don't worry about it um and it's that level of detail which is is quite extraordinary something that's really a total sideline to the main plot yeah it's sort of thrown in or thrown away for free so you can you can play this if you like or or you can just as you say just pop in and carry on with the assassinations and does your success or failure in that mini game um does that impact back on the main game it feeds into how much cash you have and it feeds mm-hmm. into the kind of resources you have for the main missions. So there's certainly there's certainly a loop whereby it feeds back, but it's very much up to the individual player. Do you know how long you spent um, sort of playing the little Animal Crossing game compared um, to the main story? I think it was a couple of evenings, actually. Yeah, really? I think I, I pretty much didn't bother going back to the main plot for yeah. a couple of three-hour, four-hour sessions of just running about that little town searching for statues and um, doing reinvesting the money and and improving all the facilities and all that kind of thing and watching the little town people getting happier and all that kind of stuff so that's interesting it's obviously obviously plenty there to engage you so I mean Sinan how did how did you play through the game? Was it similar to Mark or? Um, not really, <laughs> not similar to Mark. I mean, I I, I did all <laughs> I, I did all that, but it was more as I as I played through the game. Um, and I think probably for a lot of gamers, it was the achievement side of it that was more enticing than any of the the beefing up side of the character because I I didn't really, if I'm telling the truth, notice any difference to any of the improvements that brought you know money wise or whatever. It was. I, I, to not sound like a broken record, it, it felt like a very easy game for me from start to finish, um, regardless of what I was doing in there. You mentioned earlier what was a, a good addition to just the assassination side in the game. I, re, I really liked um, searching for the six hidden treasures. I can't remember what they're called exactly, but you you find a, a secret notch and tw- turn it and you get taken down to a kind of underground area beneath the building and you go for these kind of Tomb Raider style uh, challenges where you are it's very similar to Tomb Raider Underworld uh, where you are climbing up ledges and swinging from one to another and, and just doing all these kind of a- very acrobatic focused uh, escalation of a, of a tower to get to this end point where there's a treasure. I think it just it really showed off the smooth uh, movement Mark was talking about earlier much better than anything else in the game put it off and look stylish while you're doing it you have to have a bit of skill in these sections which you don't really need in the rest of the game you can just get away because there's so many ledges all around uh, these cities you mm-hmm. you can just kind of get away with being a bit rubbish uh, and, and making your way through whereas in this bit you had to have a bit of skill and I really appreciated it for that I almost felt like in terms of the assassinations I had too much power there were too many weapons and I didn't really know what to do with all of them something like 8 or 9 or 10 main weapons uh, Ezio can use he can I just didn't find that there was any encouragement in the game for me to use more than one or two I, I, I think I pretty much used the sword and the throwing daggers and I got through the whole game on those there wasn't any real encouragement to ever experiment 
because I always could see a way just using these two things. Maybe that's just the nature of an open world game, but I feel like Assassin's Creed 2 was a bit lazy in some ways in terms of encouraging the player to really experiment. I mean, it's interesting because I've talked to a lot of people who said they did just naturally experiment, and maybe that's just who I am. I don't I don't naturally experiment in games, but uh, I, I would have liked to have seen a bit, a bit stronger level design in that sense. Yeah, and it's interesting that we... Um... When we were talking about the first game, we were sort of critical about how it sort of funneled you into one one type of play at the end. Yeah. And then this one's obviously much more open. Uh, but I almost feel like I, I, there's no way the to win with problem. me in some ways. <laughs> <laughs> well, perhaps there is a middle ground, though, where they've done the first step of creating the tool set of different weapons you can use to solve the different assassinations. But they that now need to make those assassinations more specific so that you have to more of, more of a puzzle so you have to try and work out how to solve them yeah i mean that that's how games were designed before you know like i said earlier before i left them till 90s and 80s that's really how mm. uh, a traditional even a you know platformer a puzzle game even a even the 3d games that were starting to crop up that's how they were designed and it's it's something to try and get used to in this generation i just i don't know if i really want to <laughs> actually <laughs> I can see what you mean. The problem is that I think the one thing that the environments don't do, and it's possibly because we're talking about 12th century Palestine and Renaissance Italy, where everything is sort of open villas with big windows and things like that. The games don't really do interiors very much because they're cities. You're running around the outside. You're going through very big open palaces. And the thing with Assassin's Creed is that you can virtually always just jump over the roof and go right into the middle. So there's not really any much scope for setting up a complex series of objectives to get to a target. There's not really the nature of the environments as this big parkour thing that you can run around in any direction you like kind of mitigates against complex environmental puzzles. Mm. So that's that's possibly the the problem that sort of uh, Sinan is um, bumping against. Really, is that and that's probably their strength is that they've focused on the overarching and the grand um, and created this impressive sort of blockbuster experience. Um, now, but how does that compare? In the first one, there was a sense that it was it was we sort of talked about it being very open and big. Did the second one increase that? You've talked about it being a blockbuster and they put more resources into it. How did that actually play out? Actually, for me, it felt the second one. It's complex age and it's uh, there, there, there's greater number of characters, but they seem to have tightened the geographic scope of it a bit. You skip between the edges of each of the cities rather than riding through huge stretches of open countryside felt like it had concentrated on what was its sort of core strength which was the cityscapes and i kind of missed the kingdom for the first from the first game because there was something quite relaxing about horse riding through um countryside for 20 minutes or whatever they, they sort of layered it i think is what i'm saying they, they 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 made they were bigger sort of more complex cities but the other side of that was that they cut out the sense that you were operating across an entire country i appreciate the second game for its setting and its story much more because it felt like the cities had personality you get to Venice and there's this vibrant personality about the place and it's it's in, it's aesthetically and uh, atmospherically hugely different from anything you've done in the game before. Actually those kind of two or three hours when I was in Venice I really really enjoyed the game. I was just annoyed it was such, such a short sejour when you have in Venice. In terms of its location it was a, it was a much stronger game than the first. 
the story is not brilliant it's a blockbuster problem probably less in the action movie sense and more in the sense of what a very large paperback you'd find in an airport it's you know it's a real kitchen sink combination of fantasy science fiction uh, historical conspiracy nonsense about templars and all that kind of thing really it's just sort of an excuse it's it's the big framework which allows them to sort of muddle all these things together and if they want to have glowing magic spheres turn up for no apparent reason then they can because (laughs) they've built that into the plot so yeah i mean i think the second one really strengthened it by in assassin's creed 2 Ezio has a family has a family he starts out as a bit of a layabout um a bit of a layabout a bit of a rake uh he's the younger brother he's a typically responsible younger brother most of his family is then killed and his entire luxurious life is stripped away from him and it's at that point that he has to sort of embrace his assassin's heritage and it gives it a much more sort of much deeper story the second one because it's not just about the rivalry between these various abstract factions it's there's a personal sort of betrayal to it and one of the nicer things is that they actually keep um the sister and mother alive and mm-hmm. part of what you're doing in Assassin's Creed 2 is for the benefit of your surviving family. So Ezio, even after his uh, father and brothers are killed, Ezio doesn't become the cold, merciless, unrooted killer. He he mm-hmm. does have this human connection. And you are, at one point, you're, one of the things you can do is collect these feathers and put them in a box, in a jewellery box in your mother's room. And you're, the idea is that these sort of sentimental mementos will bring her out of this grief-stricken state she's in and sort of bring her back to normality and that's a really really nice little touch games are very entirely fairly criticized for not just the fact they are very violent but for being very glib and casual about violence and although you know there's some of the most brutally murderous stuff you could imagine in assassin's creed 2 i mean that stabbing those guys with the hidden knives never gets old but at the same time they do have this sort of flip side to it and they do have this sort of more sentimental streak which Mm. is uh nice i thought yeah and i like that that sense of touch it brings a more mature balance to the experience as a whole um and there's there's a moment that stands out in my mind right near the beginning where you there's some mission where you need to climb to the top of a, a central tower in the city and you go there with your brother and you, you both get to the top and you're sort of racing up to the top and it's very um, mechanic driven, it's very gameplay as you're trying to work out how to get to the top of this tower and then suddenly you get to the top and the camera pulls back um, and you get a view of the whole city in the credits roll and it's, there's quite a moving moment really where you get the sense that you're part of a big sort of blockbuster movie and that there's a story unfolding and you know that sets the scene for what's about to happen and it's hollywood convention it's hollywood convention that if you're told in the first 10 minutes that the most important person in the lead character's world is their brother that brother is not going to last very long yeah exactly you know, so, yeah, so you it, know that this is it seals his know, fate this is their last happy this is the last one of the last happy moments you'll see them in yeah. before it all goes horribly wrong yeah but they, they managed to do that they right. actually established that moment um yeah and for me that's relatively unusual in a video game i'm usually skipping past those sorts of sections so um i really enjoyed that it's interesting because I, I didn't i mean the hollywood, hollywood side of it for me is, is fine I, I don't really have a problem with it but i i more appreciated the game for when it tried to really ingratiate history into the story like the, the, there's a moment quite early on where you meet a group of courtesans 
it's done very tactfully it's done very interestingly there's no kind of sexist connotations of it it's just a very direct recreation of what that part of history would be mm-hmm. and for me it's interesting because I, I didn't really know all that much about the courtesans of uh, the renaissance italy period and it, i i without using the word educational um <laughs> i really i really enjoyed knowing and learning about that and i really appreciated the game for for trying to bring history not just as a kind of a, a side part of the game but as a really as a character in the game i think they're in a bit of safer ground with the second game i think with the first game because of where it was set during the crusades and you have you know the jewish city you have the muslim city and you have the christian city I think they realised that for a game that would be sold in a lot of different countries, they were dabbling in sort of quite contentious subject matter. Oh, definitely. So what they end up doing is they end up just making them all the same. They establish an absolute moral equivalence very early on. Mm. And as you said, the Christian, Jewish and Muslim cities are just the same with slightly different accents and slightly different um, colour palettes. And I think that's where they, they kind of painted themselves into a corner. Because there's that notorious disclaimer, which they kept... I was just going to say. <laughs> which is the, the... Which is the... This is not just... Which basically, just a thing pops up at the start and says, this is not just a bunch of white people um, slagging French off your French. culture. <laughs> yeah. Which is pretty much what it is. It's a French company, and they're aware that there's a sensitivity to a country which is seen as one on one side of these sort of cultural differences, doing something which could be seen as very judgmental about the others. Palestine becomes this very pretty place but they can't really make the cultural tensions particularly crunchy. Whereas in the second game, there's not the same level of contention. Mm. So they're not forced to pick a side. It was a very violent time full of historical figures who are acknowledged to have been very brutal. So you can safely have various popes and lords and things doing terrible things in Assassin's Creed 2, and it fits with the period because it was a very violent period. You know, it was a great period of creation, but it was also a very brutal period. Um, where it would not be unexpected for somebody of Ezio's character, who is a young aristocrat, to have got into fights and killed people in the street and things like that. And so, yeah, they're in a they're a bit freer in Assassin's Creed to to put a bit more historical colour in there without it being overly controversial. Great, we could really go on talking about Assassin's Creed, I think, for a number of hours, but we're out of time. We're out of time today, so. Um... With half an eye looking ahead to see uh, what's going to come in Assassin's Creed Brotherhood, the, ne- the next instalment, and even Assassin's Creed 3, a bit further on from that, the, the, the proper sequel, we'll, we'll wrap things up. So it's just left for me to remind you that you can read our reviews on our website at www.gamepeople.co.uk. You can follow us on Twitter at game underscore people. And you can friend us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash game people. So we'll be back in a week or so with another podcast and look forward to seeing you then. Bye bye.